Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's special guest is, he's a friend, but I feel like we're we're more than friends because he, I feel like, makes me look so good on this podcast um, because we work together to produce this podcast every week. Uh, his name is Jerry Wan. Um, in addition to just being a friend, I feel like we have um, so many conversations around, of course, podcasting and storytelling of um voices of people of color, but also, you know, we have kids. So we just, we're, we get to know each other very well when you do this podcasting process, because every week, you know, you're learning about other people, learning about each other. And so I'm happy to have him on. Um, he is, of course, the uh, podcast creator of Dear Asian Americans. It is a wonderful podcast. If you haven't listened to it, um, it's really about focusing on storytelling rooted in origin, identity, and legacy of Asian Americans. Um, he just reached his 100th episode uh, maybe two weeks ago and has an amazing group of folks that he puts, you know, podcast interviews together similar to mine's where, you know, learning about how people got into what they're doing, what their experience has been like as an Asian American. Um, if you haven't listened to it, take a listen um, and he's the hundredth episode. So you get to know a little bit more about him. If you want to listen to that one, if you want to start there and work your way backwards, but, um, just a wonderful person. Uh, we are just in such an interesting time right now. I needed to ha have a voice that I felt was not only reflective of the times, but just someone who I feel has a pulse on what's going on. And so I'm happy to have Jerry on today to talk about um, what's happening in current events as it relates to racism and hate crimes against Asian Americans. So happy to have you on today, Jerry. Welcome to Full Circle. Thank you. It's weird because um, normally uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have my mic unmuted and uh, you'd be talking to one of your amazing friends and guests. And uh, I don't think I would ever be a guest on this show, to be honest with you, because it's not my place. I know what this show stands for and, and why you do what you do. And, and I am, uh, I, I jumped onto the project because I believe in the mission of elevating uh, often unheard voices and the, uh, the voices of our black friends, particularly black women who are kicking ass in the world is, is something I deeply care about. So um, even when you asked me earlier this week, you know, uh, do you want to do this? My, my initial answer was, I, I don't want to take up that space um, because this is, you know, uh, this is your space, but I, it's, it's also funny Garland. Cause when, when the camera is not on, um, we have really good conversations and, and you've often said we should record this. And so we're recording this. Um, we are, I, I, I appreciate you, uh, not just for this, but, uh, for what you do, even when people are not looking in advocating for, um, everybody across the board, but in particular, um, advocating and, and uplifting and sharing with your own community uh, things that are happening to the Asian American community, um, particularly in 2020, which, uh, yeah, it is uh, not new. Uh, and, and I don't want to belabor the point of the ugly history of America that many of us never learned in school, um, but it, it, it is not new. Um, and, and if it is new to you, welcome. Um, uh, but, yes. but also, you know, and then I, you know, you and other black friends have said the same, like, let's just not talk about the bad stuff. Like, let's celebrate all of us that are doing well and, and, and moving the ball down the field and, you know, making this a little bit of a better place for our kids. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, we, we don't have an agenda. We don't have a script, uh, nope. but, uh, th <laughs> this will be, 
this will be different. Um, but but I am just grateful that uh, we get to have this conversation. Same. I am too. Uh, I feel like there's so much to this. And I'm just going to preface this conversation by saying we are not going to solve everything, answer everything, you know, uncover everything in this one conversation. We're, t- we're really speaking as... Um, I think people who work in what we call the diversity space, but who have, you know, different groups that we are looking uh, at advocating for and making sure that their stories are told and making sure that they are getting the shine that they, you know, deserve. In addition to hearing about the not so great things that have happened, uh, because I think, as Jerry said, I mean, this isn't new. Uh, it's always been happening uh, prior to coronavirus, prior to pandemic. It's just what makes the news, what makes the headlines, um, what you know, model minority myth you want to believe, what meritocracy myth you want to believe. Um, all of this makes it seem like, oh, you know, a particular group is maybe doing better than another group, and everyone is still under white supremacy and having to deal with whiteness and having to deal with otherness and feeling as though they're not enough. Um, And so my hope in today's conversation is that we specifically focus on the Asian American experience, on the Asian experience, because I don't, again, think this is a a voice that we get to hear very much about. And as someone who has spent, you know, I'd say at least the past year and a half doing interviews with people, activism off offline, meaning, you know, your relationships and the things that you've been doing outside of um, kind of the podcast and just who you are in terms of how you show up for your community every day. Like, I think that story needs to be told. So um, I'm happy to have you on because I, I want to make sure that like, you know, we're talking about what the sentiment is right now, specifically, you know, in your peer group, in the people that you're socializing with, I mean, what is that feeling of, and, and this is, you know, recorded today in two weeks, sentiment might change and two, two months sentiment might change. So this is just for this moment, like what is the feeling within um, your, your peer group in your community? It's everything. It, was is continues to be um anger sadness hurt uh impassioned fired up motivated confused it's everything because it feels uh i'll use the word validated for many of us who've been speaking on this topic for more than a week um for the world to finally have seemingly woken up. Um, And I know that there are parallels to what my community is going through now versus what the black community went through first in 2016 and then again in 2020 where people seemingly, and I stress seemingly because I don't know what their true intent or their permanence is in in their support. Um, And so we'll, we'll take it. Um, it, it's been good to have a growing platform in the shadows of tragedy. Um, but, you know, collectively, I think there is uh, this sense of uh, almost like sadness, anger about what's happened. I get it. But in the same vein, sort of uh, this relief that we're finally being heard. So uh, it, it feels... Uh, it feels good in a way, it, but never good, right? So um, it, it's sort of like when you go to a funeral and you see a friend you haven't seen in a long time and you just sit there and you catch up. And, you know, one of the first things that you say when you meet in those circumstances is, hey, friend, it's so good to see you. I just wish it was under better circumstances. And that's what this feels like. People died. You know, people were murdered. People um, are, are continuing to be be hurt and living in fear. And so... Um, under those circumstances, for us to be highlighting Asian American voices, you you often wonder, um, you know, where would this be if ugliness in Atlanta or otherwise didn't happen? Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, it's been about 10 days. And so I, I think we are also uh, progressing and evolving in our 
uh, evolution of response. And so now, you know, today there's a, there's a big movement. Um, I'm, I'm helping out where I can, but, you know, for, for people to take the day off and to learn and to grow and to process and all that. And, and so it's sort of, what do we do about it now, right? Because, um, you know, we, we've, we've seen some statements from companies and schools and organizations and friends, but like, okay, so what are we going to do about it, right? Like, at hashtag doesn't save a life, a black square, a yellow square, whatever. Doesn't They don't do any, like, practically speaking, they don't do anything. And so now what? And the, the big question mark, the, the, the big question for all of us, regardless of what community you are in, is what's the solution? Who's got the solution? Who's to say that that person's solution is right? And how do you activate an entire group of people when particularly uh, unique sort of to the Asian American community is that we represent like, I don't know, like 40, 30 different countries, different, like, so we're not a monolith. So like how to, who, who's to say what Asian America thinks? Who's to say that's what Asian right. America, right? So that's been tough. But collectively, um, I, you know, personally, I've been busier. Uh, the people who want my time and who want my my thoughts. So that's good. Um, uh, collectively, I know that everybody else, well, not everybody else, a lot of people have been also, you know, been asked to share thoughts and, and stuff. So like, um, I, I just want to make it permanent. I, I don't want this to be a, a flashbang and, you know, just sort of, okay, cool. We did something for the Asians and now we can go back to celebrating or, you know, focus on whatever it is that we celebrate or focus on. Um, but yeah, I do think that as, as we look back in this time in history, uh, not in Asian American history, but in American history, uh, I am hopeful that we will look back at this time and remember it as the times that we changed Asian American history forever and the way that America viewed Asian Americans forever. Um, and, and so um, if you're, if you're listening, you know, uh, continue to check in on your friends, continue to amplify our voices. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the black community and the Asian American community have an extremely special and unique and irreplicable bond that, um, combines and, and weaves our suffering, although not the same. And, and I don't want to say that it's this, it's not the same, but um, the majority of my friends who've reached out in the last week have been black. And they're the same ones that I reached out to eight months ago. And the same thing I said to them, which is what they're saying, saying to me now, which is, I don't know what the hell to say, but I just want you to know that I'm here. And, and that's it. So um, anyway, it's a lot of emotion. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's, Good to be talking about it, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I mean, we talked about it last week, but I think everything was so fresh still. I was like, it's too soon to talk about it. You need like a moment to have space so that you can actually think and process and and be less um, raw and feeling very, <laughs> you know, overly vulnerable. I know how that is. Um and so, yeah, so let's talk about the diaspora because I feel like that's a lot of people don't realize within the Asian community. There are, you know, like you said, all of these nationalities, languages, countries um, that make up ethnicities that make up the Asian American community. And so when you look at, you know, if you are, you know, whether you're from, you know, China, Japan, Korea, uh, if you're from India, if you are, you know, from for the Philippines or Malaysia, Singapore, like, and then the history in those specific countries and how, you know, colonization may have impacted those countries. Um, it's a different mix. And I don't think that Americans, for sure, I can say this because I, I when I, you know, I work in diversity space and people will say things. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not true. Like you can't say that that's not true across the board for all, you know, people who make up the Asia pack, you know, group or the Pacific Islanders when you get into, you know, Fiji, Hawaii, you know, some of these other places. And so um, what do you want to, I think the not a monolith statement, I think is huge, but I think telling, because you tell the stories of, a variety, the cross, 
you know, the variety of that, what do you want people to know about that? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know because really, I, I guess it's poetic, but it, it is not my job to speak for the community, right? And I think um, just like your opinion or anybody else's opinion, like you don't represent all of Black America and certainly... No. Um, even the term African-American is complex because what if you're a Nigerian immigrant? That yeah. African-American is very different than descendants of slaves. And, and so um, words matter. I think, um, I, I guess, you know, historically speaking, the term Asian-Americans was uh, actually coined or, or started to use by uh, Asian-American activists to support the black movement in the 60s at San Francisco State. And so, uh, you know, I am Korean ethnically. I was born in Korea, came here, so I identify as a Korean American. Now, you know, in in this uh, social and political climate and sort of this, you know, in in, in a movement to unify more of our voices for a larger and stronger voice, I think, you know, I say I'm Asian American, but that is also a little bit of an erasure of our own culture too. Um, and so it, it is super complex. Um, and so three things, I think there's four things rather. There's the, what actually are you from an ethnical perspective or ethnic perspective, Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese, Lao, Indian, American versus the Asian American identity. Because there's no Asian American language. There's no Asian food. There's no Asian culture. It's culture, food, and language specific to a country. So, um, you know, that's why, like, when dumb people say, can you say it in Asian? And you're like, no, dumbass. There's no language called Asian. Um, there's one. There's And then two is the difference in self-identity between those folks, collectively I'll call Asian Americans, versus Asians who happen to be in America. So we're talking your uh, people who are on work visas, who expect to go home, or people who are studying here as international students, or people who may just be even visiting for, for short or long periods of time. Those folks don't understand the identity of an Asian American in the same way that I do, because they didn't go to school here. They don't work here. They don't live here permanently. And so uh, it is important for our even members of our own community, but certainly our allies, to understand that uh, so, for example, if you ask me, where are you from? And I say L.A., and then that's not good enough. So you press me because you want to hear Korea, and I'm not going to tell you Korea, but you continue to say, where are you really from? Because I know what you're trying to get at, and I'm going to say that I'm from L.A. Um, if you ask somebody who is actually from Korea, say, where are you from? They'll say Korea. And be like, aha, I knew it. And then they'll tell you some pseudo-racist stuff like, you know, my cousin married a Korean or worse, you know. I served in the Vietnam War, and I was like, what does that have to do with anything? But anyway, so like self-identity matters. Um, and then three, the PI portion of AAPI, which is, again, a very corporate-friendly sort of this supposedly inclusive term. I actually don't know collectively. I know opinions of individual people. If the Pacific Islanders care to be included or lumped into or identify with the greater Asian American experience. We do because it makes it easy for Americans or white Americans to say anything west of LA is just one big region. So boom, right? And then some folks go APAC, like you said, where like, well, let's include Australia because, and it's like, where does it stop? Right. And so understanding in the same thought that, the collectivism is, has been and it will always be a, a necessary tool that we need to employ f- to gather collective voices, but also understanding that it is so freaking complex. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think I said four things, so I think I got it all. But like, you know, like it, it's complex. But, but I yeah. will say this, and, and having spoken to, uh, you know, some, some really amazing, you know, Black brothers who, who've reached out in the last week is that, Fundamentally, I think the, the the nuanced difference between how the black community in whole responded to Black Lives Matter versus how Asian Americans in whole are responding to this recent wave of hate and violence is that a larger percentage of the black community is more on the same page that racism exists, that the systems are messed up, and that it needs to be changed. Um 
But thanks to the model minority myth and thanks to meritocracy and thanks to a whole slew of other things, not as many Asians at a greater percentage, we can't even get our own technical house in order for all Asian Americans to believe the same thing. There are still people in our community who are extremely anti-Black. There are people in our community who are extremely white adjacent. There are Asian white supremacists. Of course, there are also Black white supremacists. Um, some of them hold very high public offices, or at least used to. We all know who they are. And, and so, you know, my one Black friend said so, or my one Asian friend neighbor said so. That doesn't count. You have to listen to the voices of the people who've... Um, and I'm not a scholar of any sort, but there are actual scholars you should read, um, like Erica Lee and Helen Zia and other folks. Like, um, and and so again, I, I don't, I don't think I've given you a, a clear and, and simple answer to any no, of these. Well, questions. it's not a clear and simple answer. I mean, that's that's the thing is that it's not like a you know, oh, you just one size fits all, silver bullet. This is this yeah. is it, and it works. It's not. I, I mean, I I'm aware. I, th I mean, so I, you know, I'd say I went to UC Berkeley. My roommate, my freshman year was an, you know, American born Chinese, ABC, right? And she like told me a lot about, because I asked questions. This, you, I mean, you're in college, you guys have nothing but time. And so um, our, I was on a floor uh, where we were the all girls floor in in the dorm and so my neighbor across the way um she was taiwanese american another young lady was from taiwan who was an international student and so i i think learned a lot during my freshman sophomore year at cal because i mean you're living with people now like you're you're in there you're in space together every day um, and so you can choose to not know <laughs> and just be like, whatever, or you can choose to know and ask questions. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say I know everything by any means because it was just an interpersonal relationship, but I feel as though it made me aware of the nuance. Yeah. It made me aware that there were clear distinctions between groups and that you can't lump everyone into one group uh, because they're all, everyone's having a different experience. Um, yeah. And so I, I love that you're explaining it because I think people are not aware. They just see somebody surface level, right? Oh, you know, there's someone who's Asian, but they don't sometimes realize there's a whole cultural piece, language, yeah. you know, everything there. That's just more, than what you're seeing. And so what I think this, my hope is with this, you know, recent fever pitch of like, it's in your face is that you do some more investigative work and you ask questions and you read books and you look around and, you know, doesn't mean go talk to all your Asian friends and say, Hey, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, for people who you have a close relationship with that you say are your friends, who you say are your are your peoples? Like you should be able to, you know, ask how how do I need to show up for you? Because I mean, we don't get better if we're sitting over yeah. here making assumptions. But you, you bring up a good thing, and you know, um, so you and your roommate in college, because you lived with each other and you shared, and and this was pre pre-cell phone and pre-distraction. So like, you know, in, in-person engagement was the thing. Um, so I, I think now in 2021, and particularly we've had an entire year of training for having extremely digital first sort of relationships. Uh, I, I think allyship and solidarity and uh, relationship building uh, takes on a completely different meaning because if we think about the, the historic photos that we see of uh, Black and Asian solidarity from the 60s, 70s, and 90s, and, and, and we think about what happened here in Los Angeles, where you and I both live in 1992, after the murder of Latasha Harlins, after the, you know, the, the unfair ruling of um, Rodney King, and then sort of what happened um, as, as half the city burned, like, we were also, uh, because we, especially in LA, because we largely live in our own ethnic pockets and, and racial pockets of town, 
meeting and running into somebody that looks differently from you was not a common thing to do. Um, and, and so I, I hope, and you know, and when, when they were talking about solidarity, it usually meant, you know, some politician, community leader, or some pastor meeting with a counterpart of the other group, holding a press conference and shaking hands and saying like, hey, we care for each other. But what you and I are doing now is the modern day version of that. It happens everywhere. It happens in private. It happens in public. And so I, I think, you know, thanks to the internet and thanks to social media and really in part because we've been forced to move all of our social interactions digitally, we are having so solidarity and have solidarity and communication and allyship has been democratized. And so now the big question is, well, what the hell are we going to do about it? Because, you know, there are key black leaders in the social movement, but not every black person, like they don't speak for everybody. We actually lack right now, in my opinion, a singular voice like an Al Sharpton or a Jesse Jackson or even a Sean King. We don't have one. And it's almost sad that we, I think we need one just in case the next shit that happens, somebody needs to be the first to have a presser. But so that means that everybody do everything and anything that you can sort of becomes a thing, right? So like you don't need, um, yes, like I have an Asian American platform. Like I don't, again, I don't speak for anybody. I provide an opportunity for other people to speak. And so while I, you know, and, and so like that, that's where I think I want the folks who are listening and I know who our audience is, right? So like this might be the first time you're hearing like authentically and just openly from an Asian American person because you may not have one in your life. But what I will say is, you know, build personal relationships with people outside of your community. You have no excuse not to anymore because they may not be your physical neighbors. They may not be your physically close colleagues, but we're all on the Internet. We're all on here. And if you are a little bit uh, hesitant or uh, want to give people space, it is our collective jobs to consume information and stories of other people on our own time so that when we have the next conversation with somebody from that community, we are one degree more educated and more than education, just more empathetic to that experience. Um, what we will probably see as, you know, this is like the same silly playbook, right? Like we will probably see, and you know, Asian American APA Heritage Month is about four weeks away. What we're probably going to see is endless amounts of Asian American authors you should read, Asian American podcasts you should listen to, because this is what happened back in last summer, right? And like, and I hope this stuff lasts, right? Like, um, I, I hope this stuff lasts. And you know what? What has really been really awesome, and, and you and I like spend most of our time online on LinkedIn, um, have been, and a lot of them have been former guests of this show. And so, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, y'all been speaking up for us and not speaking for us, big difference, speaking up for us and saying, go listen to, go read to, you know, and, and so that's what we need. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just being a human being. Um, but digitally, you don't need to be a roommate of somebody. You don't need to be a neighbor of somebody. We know that even where we live and where we work and who we worship with and how we socialize is very segregated still. And whether that is right or wrong is not what, what I want to debate today, but the internet doesn't have those walls. The internet doesn't have zip codes. And so, um, and you don't actually have to engage with them. Um, again, under weird circumstances, our dear Asian Americans Instagram account went from slightly under 10 K. And so I was, getting ready to celebrate, getting the swipe up and like, you know, like passing that milestone. And in the last 10 days, we're now at 18K. Like, it's everything that I wanted to happen to the platform, but under these circumstances, it's weird. However, in the same breath, I'm so grateful that people are finally listening. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think, the, the, the lesson. Like, it's, uh, I don't know who said it, uh, I'm, I co-opted it from somebody, but we're not going to beat this system in a lifetime. Uh, and so we have to make it as best as we can, or we have to improve it as much as we can. And then our kids will take the baton and then their kids will take the baton. So like, 
Um, but yeah, I, I am, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, I hope conversations come out of this. Yeah, no, I, I do too. I mean, I think, I think this, uh, so I think we're in a collective, I'm, I'm going to get woo because everyone knows probably this much about me and my woo. Um, there's like an energy force going on right now in our, in our collective consciousness, our collective world. I think this time of pandemic and, you know, quiet in the sense that some of the normal distractions aren't there. Um, you're seeing the good, bad, and the ugly of everything. Like the people who are going to go and shoot up a store who are going to just, you know, again, do hate crimes and, you know, decide to beat up elderly people in their own communities. I mean, it sounds like what, like what's going on. Um, but then at the same time, you see this other group or groups of people who are, you know, bringing light to things, justice in other ways are, are you know, the hands of justice are moving as well. So um, I, I can't wait to hear how this ends up looking in the larger historical context like you i'm very um cautiously optimistic and hopeful that this yeah. is like a turning point of sorts and that people can start to say you know this was the year that we really looked at ourselves and thought i need to do better and how can i do better um how can i be a better person um not just to my you know friends and my family but to everyone um it's really forcing you to kind of step into being a higher version of yourself. Uh, and so, you know, getting to know other people more meaningfully, you, you can do that very easily now with the internet. Um, I mean, I know we're all zoomed out. Everyone's like over it, but guess <laughs> what? Like we don't have to worry anything being only local. It can be national. It can be international. And so you have more uh, opportunity to be with people in that way. Um, I mean, so I know I have to kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to move this a little bit to talk about, um, employee resource groups and business mm. resource groups, because I know that is one of your, you know, areas that you are getting calls on from folks specifically because there's so much happening. Um, and as someone who works in the DEI space and consults with them very often, um, I know right now they're probably all thinking, what, sh what can we be doing? What should we be doing? How can we push this agenda forward in our organizations? What is it that we should be asking for? And so I want you to talk a little bit about that because yeah. I don't think those groups get the love that they deserve and they're probably getting way more and maybe don't even know what the first step to do is now that they're getting some attention. Um, First, if you are lucky enough to have an ERG in your company, uh, you know, that's a blessing. Um, it, it's complex. And, and I, I will caveat, um, I, I am somebody who now speaks to ERGs and companies at large and organizations uh, about uh, not only storytelling holistically, but particularly about Asian American storytelling and, and uh, even more recently being asked to come and uh, share what this means to the Asian American community. Um, and, and so, uh, because part of what I am going to ask people to do is to pay people to come and speak. Uh, and, and that's important because we went through it and, and we saw it. Um, uh, people who manage, participate, lead, sponsor ERGs, um, all, all people, uh, all marginalized people, um, it's an additional burden that companies ask of them to do this, that other people and uh, the dominant group, which are white men in large companies, don't have. And, and they say things like, well, but it's good for you, right? It's good for you to build community. It's, it's a place you can find mentors, but there's no compensation. Um, and I, I know legally why they can't compensate because then it becomes a, a lawsuit from other people. Um, but one, if you, uh, so if, if you are an executive leader who listens to this podcast and you have an Asian ERG, don't ask him to do stuff. Like uh, you should take, the lead in offering to create programming for the people. The people who are hurting should not be telling other people why they are hurting. Um, that's also important. Uh, 
bring in people. People exist out there um, like me, like other people. They're all over LinkedIn. If you don't know who they are, you can reach out to Garland and she'll give you a list. And like, you know, because part of it is a number of different things. One, um, a company's job is to make money, not to provide safe spaces for marginalized people to have these conversations. And so you also have to think about how the people who are even leading these ERGs internally have been trained, what their knowledge base is, or did you just take the most highest ranking uh, person of group X and say, you are now the ERG lead because it has the most visibility. And now what the heck are they supposed to do? They're also hurting, right? And, and so there's that. And, and two, there are things that external guest speakers and other uh, facilitators can share that somebody who has the burden of a paycheck can never share. And so we have to recognize that if you don't think your company is doing enough for any marginalized group in the face of tragedy, somebody who takes a paycheck may be very hesitant to say that out loud because they fear retribution and they fear retribution because retribution has happened for speaking up on things like this. So if you bring in an external voice, it helps. Um, when you're living through something, it's hard to see objectively. And, and so, you know, again, it doesn't have to be... Uh, Anybody in particular, it doesn't have to be some grandiose event, but work with other people to bring in somebody who can help with this and pay them fairly, which again, in full disclosure, like I am a part of the conversation that is advocating. Uh, yes, I do see personal benefit from my business, but the other part is I've heard of uh, do it, do it for the cause, do it as a favor. Um a company who is publicly worth more than $10 billion offering somebody, a friend of mine $250. Um, these are all wonky numbers. And to say that there is no budget, to say that they can't afford it is BS because we've all sat in on some dummy mindset, motivation, quarter kickoff, quarter wrap-up, annual something, where we know that the person on stage who really isn't moving the needle on anything it's made a lot of money to move the needle, or I guess, you know, to, to, to say something. So, um, so, you know, and if you don't have these resources, um, create a space, a private space. And again, virtually makes it sometimes more difficult, but sometimes better. Um, you know, if th then you're able to reach people in satellite offices or different regional offices, or even globally, uh, to have these conversations. And so, um, you know, it, it is so complex. Um, it is, it is complex getting ERGs approved, then getting gaslit and saying, what's the business case for an ERG? Yeah. Um, uh, that was my next thing is what happens when they come back with the, what's the ROI with the business yeah. case? Because I, I, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, do we need one? Me just no. asking you for it. Shouldn't that be the business case? Yes. I mean, the business case in a perfect world, in a human world, is that it makes good business sense to care about your human beings. Unfortunately, that is not the case. And I, I, I understand. I don't agree with but I understand sort of the financial pressures that some of these folks have. Um, and, and, you know, what, what is one of the greatest fears of a large organization? It's precedence. And so if you give it to Garland one time, if you give it to Jerry one time, what happens the next time Sally wants one? I don't, you know, so I understand that they're trying to protect the mothership because that's what they get paid to do. Um, there are resources out there. There are groups like the Asian, um, Asian Leadership Alliance, which is a collection of different ERGs. Uh, there are, you know, people like me and other, uh, other friends who live in this world that can sort of coach and like sort of help you get, like share the message. Uh, but ultimately... Be prepared, and we don't talk about this part enough. You're not obligated to stay in a place where you are not valued as a human being. And so if you ask for financial, uh, political support to start an ERG, and you keep getting asked why, and you get gaslit to say, you know, all Asians are smart and have money. Like, why? why? Um, be prepared to leave. And it is not your job to fix an organization that cannot be fixed. Um, you know, when, when Minda Hartz was on this show, she said something that was just one blew my mind in the spot. And I've been, I repeated it critic, you know, over and over again. Um, and I'll paraphrase. She said, I always thought that my job would be to impact organizations from the inside, because that's what I was taught to do. That's what I was trained to do. 
And it wasn't until I left the organizations and started working with them from an external perspective that I've actually realized that I can impact corporate America. It just wasn't in the way that I ever thought. That's been literally my mantra for the last how many ever, you know, months and years I've been doing this because like, you know, um, I work for big companies where I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel that I could be me. Um, and not those exact ones, not yet, but similar size brand companies are now inviting me to come speak on the very things that I was silenced about. And so I have to hope, I have no choice but to hope because the opposite of that is admitting defeat and that's not good, that we are starting to shift the narrative um, that there are thankfully, like LinkedIn has been loud the last week and I'm so grateful. Yeah. LinkedIn has changed since last year. I am, I've been on LinkedIn for over 10 years and I have seen more and maybe it's the people I'm following too. Cause you know, I'm doing this podcast, I'm in diversity. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some echo chamber of sorts forming around me because and, yeah. of who I connect <laughs> with. But, um, I mean, I have seen more posts on just like, I am not putting up with this. This is not okay. We need more of this. I, I've seen more, um, you know, activism on LinkedIn than I have ever seen. And I know some people are be like, this isn't the place for it, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. As our workplaces change, as our, if, if this place is supposed to be our professional versions of ourselves, our workplace versions of ourselves, that is being challenged right now. That is being called into question. This authenticity, bringing your whole self to work, all of these little phrases that people like to say are critical to their employees feeling welcome and feeling included, if you're not challenging what that really looks like and what that means for people, yeah. and it's not showing up in a place like LinkedIn, like I feel like it's all window dressing. It's all marketing, right? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I I hope, well, you know what? So I, I think the people who've been loud on LinkedIn, whether they're black friends or, you know, Asian American friends, um, uh, you know, for, former guest, um, uh, you know, Maddie is probably one of the loudest ones. Um, we expect those people to be loud. I am loud because I don't have an employer. What, what, what's been moving and what I hope is a permanent change is that people with big job titles that big brand names are speaking up and whether it is because they feel it's politically safe to do so given the climate or they just said, I don't care what the ramifications are. This is an ethical decision for me. This is the decision of morality that I have to speak up not just for myself, but other people like me, I hope that stays because so, so, so many times in social movements, you know, again, we, we have this like flash moment of everybody gets on board and then it fizzles. And, and so I have to hope because the other, you know, again, the alternative is unacceptable that we uh, continue to keep up the energy that uh, executives of, of all colors uh, use their privilege and their space and their power and their relationships to move the needle. Um, there are so many people out there, um, you know, uh, a, a new friend who, um, I don't know when I'll meet him in person because we've all been like, you know, digital friends, uh, is the head, global head of social marketing at Facebook. His name is Eric Toda. Um, somebody with his platform, particularly where he works, um, he's been on every single Bay Area news channel. He said on every panel, he is loud. And, you know, people like him, because imagine like, and he's like, I hold a billion dollars worth of ad spend. Why, like, why would you want to upset me? <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's not to say like, you know, it's transactional, but, you know, like I am an influential person. And I think, you know, uh, he's always been on the right side and he's always been vocal, but particularly in the last month or so, he's like, you know, he, he's written an ad week and, you know, just like he's tired because there's so much um, silence everywhere. And, and so, uh, and I, you know, I have to have grace for the people who are not as fortunate, who are not as bold, who are not as uh, comfortable speaking up because I don't know, everybody's on a different journey. Um, but it is really great to see people like him. It is really great to see other people who, um, you know, just, you know, just saying what they want to say, because 
if you are going to fire me for speaking up for my humanity, then we are not going to get along, period. Um, I, I would like to think that other people draw their line at a very low common denominator of humanity. It's not a lot to ask for. Um, but in the business world, certainly in the political world, we have seen that some people even refuse to meet us at humanity. And so I, I think this is what it all comes down to. I think, you know, uh, there's been a lot of debate about words. Um, the, the hashtag that is sort of taking a life its own is stop Asian hate. And so I agree with the sentiment, but I also agree with some of the uh, the critics who say, why are we using negative negative connotation and negative stereotyping inducing words to say stop Asian hate? Um we have to stop white supremacy. We have to squash the systems and we have to uproot the 400 years of the very foundation that this country was founded upon, which was a rigged system. And so, uh, you know, you can collectively both hold uh, Black Lives Matter, stop Asian hate, and end white supremacy because they are actually all the same thoughts. And I think the world likes to... Um, put us up against each other. Um, I, I have seen the posts that uh, in particular uh, Sean King and Van Jones have made on their, you know, uh, very wide platforms and the comments that come underneath, you know, it is very disheartening to read, um, you know, but what is also awesome is they're spending hours responding to every single one and saying, no, like you're wrong on this. Like there is solidarity and we have to care. And, and so, you know, um, I, I hope this is where we go from this. I think, you know, African-Americans are, you know, uh, 13, 14% of this country. And so alone, it's about an eighth of the country. We are about 6%. Together, we are one-fifth. And we add in other allies, then we become... And that's what they're scared of. Look at what they did in Georgia today. They passed a stupid-ass voting law that, you know, makes it illegal to give somebody water. Like, they're scared. That, that, is an, that is an act of fear. And so we have, you know, when, when the opposition does that, we have to understand that we're doing something right. Um, and so, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and, and we can probably talk about this for hours because I talk about this for hours every day. Um, but, you know, uh, you know I'll, yeah. I'll just end with, yeah, just learn um, and then teach me too because I am no expert at anything. The only reason I get to speak on Asian Americans is because I am one. Um, and, and that's the only authority I need to speak on it. But I don't know everything. I, I don't know what it means to be um, a, a black person in this country. I don't know what it means to be an LGBTQ person. Uh, from a statistical perspective, I am a straight, cisgendered, East Asian male with higher education. I so you have your own privileges that you're aware so of. Privileged. Of course I am. <laughs> And, and, you know, people find that problematic for somebody like me who uh, has an Asian American platform because who am I, you know, they, they mistakenly think that I am here to speak for people. But, um, you know, I am using my privilege to create a space for other people to speak. Um, and, and so, you know, we all have to do our part. And, and so uh, if you've listened to this, uh, if you listened this far into the show, thank you. Um, you know, that's all I can say. It's yeah. Uh, Thank you, and uh, stay, stay in, stay in the battle, stay loud. I know you know, and we all know how exhausting this is. Um, but you know, we, we're gonna get through this together, and it's not yes, just some hashtag. We but, will. You know. I will put all of Jerry's information in the show notes <laughs> because I, I think you need to, you need to know that there are resources and people and books and things happening because um, I don't want this to be either a kind of, you know moment in time let's just you know this is this is the the special time for asian people to get their shine like i mean everyone should be getting their shine all the time uh should not be confined to asian history month which is coming up in may um it's like you know asian history 365 black history 365 lgbtq history like it's american history and i think that's the whole thing is we're trying to move past this way of you know, confining people to pockets and realizing yeah. this is the history of the whole country. And if you're going to tell it, tell the whole thing. Um, 
I'm not from an only imperialist, colonialist, <laughs> you know, white supremacy place because um, the problem with the single story is that you really are not getting the whole story. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, we have figured it out. Nothing's figured out, but I think it, it helps us move closer to realizing there's a, there's more in common than there are different and that we have what we need in order to get there. We just have to keep working towards it. So um, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for saying yes. I know you could say yes to anyone anywhere. Um, so I appreciate this. This has been wonderful. No, I, I want to thank you because this, this is your show. Uh, this is your platform. Um, I take great pride in not only running a, a company that uh, uplifts Asian American voices, but that my entire client roster of people who I produce podcasts are folks of color. And I, I talk about your show often um, because I, I wouldn't want to use my, my, my gifts and my time to uplift voices uh, who may not actually reciprocate and care about us. And so um, th this means more than you'll know uh, to be able to uh, share my thoughts and, and to share um, my perspective. Um, again, I don't I don't speak for anybody else but me, but um, if, if this is the only Asian American voice you hear through these times, um, I want to say thank you because it took me a very long time uh, to get to hear a very honest and raw Asian uh, uh, Black perspective for me. And so uh, no shame, no pointing fingers, no nothing. We're, we're all in a very, very uh, different journeys. We have to also try to really figure out why we've never heard each other before, why we don't talk about this in schools and all these things. So I, I hope the conversations follow. Um, and for anybody who's listening that's curious or has a follow-up question, um, genuine offer, reach out. I'm more than happy to talk. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.